Jesus took our place in a manger that you and I might follow his place in heaven. Jesus was wrapped in filthy rags and common rags that you and I one day might be able to put on a righteous robe. You see, on a cold and dark and dreary day in a place called the Garden of Eden, the devil stole it all. But on a day in Calvary, the Bible says he was lifted up and he fought it all. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, we've got a, just a long way to go and a very short time to get there. I promise to have you out before 2 o'clock this afternoon. That was supposed to make you smile. Christmas. What's it really all about? It's not about gifts and toys and ornaments and decorations. Matter of fact, my Bible talks about only one star. And it wasn't really even the star that hung in Bethlehem. It was the glory behind the star that hung in Bethlehem. The Lord God Almighty. What is Christmas really all about? We've all heard the songs and we've been privy to the understanding that most people consider Christmas a time of giving a season of giving. But for you and I as Christians, Christmas should be every day of the year. It should always be a season of giving. I see some of you fanning yourselves. Do we need to turn the fans on in here? If we need to turn the fans on. Uh, okay, yeah, if you could get some of those fans. Just these one on the walls, Rick. Uh, uh, Andrew's getting them. Uh, turn that fan switch on, would you? I preached a message years ago on hell. You say, you preach on hell in this church? Yes, we do. It's a very real place. But I did something. I did something. Well, I thought it was fun, but they thought it was ornery. I rented a bunch of blow heaters, furnace. And the further I got into the message, the hotter the room got. Say, Pastor, you can't do that. Oh, I did it. It was fun. Altars were full. It was it, it was just it was good. Don't have any clue why I said that. It just this came to my mind. So it's not part of the sermon. You can write it down for free. Every season of our life, every day of our life should be a season of giving. Why? Because we have been given the greatest gift, and that's the gift of God's love. 
But today, what I want to do for the next few minutes is try to explain what exactly is that gift. I want to explain salvation in two phrases, and it's on your screen right now. Mercy provides, go ahead and put it up there if you would, and grace enables. What do I mean by mercy provides? Mercy is simply God's love bestowed upon an undeserving people. That's what mercy is. A lot of people call it grace, but that's not what grace is. Grace is what enables mercy to work. Mercy is what provided a way where there was no way. How many in this room really believe that we deserve heaven? If I was to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not. We'd probably just say we deserve the other place. But mercy provided a way where there was no way. Grace enabled us to partake in that way through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners, Christ died. Am I making sense? While we were still lost, Christ died. 1 John chapter 4 says it this way, we love him. Would you say it with me? Because he first loved us us. See, this is mercy. He had mercy on us. He had compassion on us. The Bible says in another place that the love of Christ constrains us. Let me take you to heaven, if I could, in a metaphorical way. There was a conversation possibly going on in heaven between the the triune Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, They were conversing at the beginning of creation, at the foundation of the world. And the attributes of God was there, grace, mercy, and love. And all of a sudden, the Father is talking to the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're having this conversation. Work with me, folks, would you please? This is metaphorically. I'm I'm just going to feel okay. And the Father begins to talk about creating man. Immediately, the conversation came up, said, well, Father, you know what they're going to do. He said, I know, I know. And they conversed back and forth one to another, and they're talking about this whole thing. And all of a sudden, Grace stands up in the back of the room and says, hey, hey, it's okay. I'll, I'll make a way. And being encouraged... And strengthened and motivated, mercy stood up and say, okay, and I'll provide that way. And then love rose in the midst and said, I'll be that way. And love has a name and his name is Jesus. You see, the measure 
of God's love in your notes is that his love is without measure. This is not in your notes, but take and write this down, please, and go look at it at yourself. The 23rd Psalm, one of our favorite psalms that all of us have read at times, says, because the Lord is my shepherd, verse 1, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. How many can say amen? amen? I drop down to the 34th Psalm in the 10th verse. And it kind of concludes, and those who trust in the Lord shall not lack in anything. Folks, I can build my life on that. Because I can understand that my God's love is immeasurable. There is no way to put a box around God's love. The moment you box it in, it breaks out. And you build another box around it, it breaks down. You see, God's love is immeasurable because God's love is a love without measure. Let me give you the picture of God's love. I know we know John 3, 16. All of us can quote it. Come on together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, you know who that is? Look at somebody and say, that's me so ever. That whosoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, well, that's a pretty good picture of God's love. No, 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 no. That's just scraping the surface of God's love. Let's go on in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's a love without measure. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand what I've done. God did not come into the world to condemn you. You don't know how bad. God did not come into the world to condemn you. But pastor, you just, God did not. I think you are the one that don't understand the depths of God's love. Am I making any sense today? You see, the measure of God's love is it's a love without measure. When we were children, I don't know about you, but I can speak to myself. Christmas was all about receiving gifts. Man, I couldn't go to bed Christmas Eve. How many were like me? Okay, we got four honest people in here. Every one of us was like that. Christmas night, oh man, I couldn't get to sleep. Slept with one eye, brought a toothpick so I could have one eye open. The whole month, my head would just swim about what kind of toys I'd get, what kind of gifts I'd get. But if you would allow me this morning, I want to help us to understand that the true meaning of Christmas is not the presence giving one to another, but the true meaning is his presence in us, given through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the love of God is commensurate to the giving of all. For the sake of a few. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? That means that most of us don't reciprocate the love. Now, don't get mad at me this morning. But most of us go through the hustle and bustle of life just kind of plowing through, don't we? How many stop along the way thanking God as you're taking each step? 
Now, don't feel bad. All of us are guilty. I tell people all the time that we spend so much time complaining about we, what we don't have that we fail to be thankful for what we do have. And I learned a long time ago, if I just start rejoicing in what I do have, God a whole lot easier will give me the things I don't have. And this is God's word. This is God's promise. But let me ask you, would you have done the same thing? See, God gave all for the sake of few, the giving of something in the return of what would be in the natural state valued at nothing. While we were still sinners, while we were still worth less, Christ died. How would you have handled that? Would you have been willing to give something for nothing? Thinking that I'm going to gain something? This is really hard. And the reason it's hard is because most of us, the most priceless possession you have sits in your chair. Folks, stands in this pulpit. I don't immune myself from this. I'm as human as anybody in here. And I struggle with the same stuff. You say, you do, preacher? Yes, as do all preachers. I just happen to be one that's honest and admits it. I have pastor friends of mine and say, you can't say that kind of stuff. You're going you're gonna to lose the mystery. Folks, if you knew me for five seconds, I ain't got no mystery. <laughs> Just what I am is what I am. Can you say amen, Mike? Yeah. yeah. Think about it. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? This what I am is what I am? I have, I have young men that I've poured my life into over the years, and the very first time I have them get up in the pulpit and preach, is this thing booming? Sounds like it's booming a little bit. The first time they get up in the pulpit and preach, I mean, they talk just like I talk, but they get up in the pulpit to preach, and the Lord would say, and it's amazing they have, have you ever heard a preacher when he says, and they have all these, these critical definites in their, and I asked the guy after he gets up to preach the first time, what happened? He said, Pastor, I had to put on a presence. I said, son, if you don't have the presence, you can't put one on. And they didn't preach that way anymore. They say, Pastor, you mean I just preach like me? I say, I've been doing it for years and I've got away with it. So I guess it works okay. Some of you look in that with a funny look. Okay, I better move on. God gave everything for nothing unless you and I choose to accept that gift and then it becomes something. See, God's gift to us did not come with great elaboration or ornate wrapping. It was delivered ever so simply. Some people go through great lengths to wrap presents. I enjoy wrapping things. But God's love came to us in a cold cave, a dirty manger, in a very little-known town called Bethlehem. Let me put it in a picture we might understand. Jesus took our place 
in a manger that you and I might follow his place in heaven. Jesus was wrapped in filthy rags and common rags that you and I one day might be able to put on a righteous robe. You see, on a cold and dark and dreary day in a place called the Garden of Eden, the devil stole it all. But on a day in Calvary, the Bible says he was lifted up and he bought it all. How do you measure that love? A love that's immeasurable. Let me take you back to the scripture. Greater love has no one than that he would lay down his life for his friends. I read a true story many, many years ago about a prince. He and his family were captured by an enemy king. And when they were brought before the king, the the king asked the prince, what will you give me if I release you? And the prince said, half of my wealth, your majesty. The king said, what if I was to release your children? What would you give me? He said, everything I possess. The king went on to say, and if I release your wife? The prince said, for her, your majesty, I give myself. The king was so moved by the devotion of this prince to his family that he freed them all. As they returned home, the prince turned to the wife and said, wasn't the king a handsome man? And with such a love of devotion and a depth depth of understanding, she said, I did not notice at all. I could only keep my eyes on the one who was willing to give his all for me. Can I ask you a question? Why is it that we can't just keep our eyes on the one who is willing to give his all for us? Why is it that we let things in life, why is it that we let the struggles and the situations try to put a limit on the gift of God's love? It's immeasurable. You say, well, you don't know what I've gone through. Isn't God's love greater? Couldn't God's love provide in the midst of it? How could we not but keep our eyes on the one who gave all? Colossians chapter 3 tells us of a great possibility. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, it's not in your notes, it's not on the screen, so write it down, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since you have been raised with new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Spend your life thinking about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. Why? Because he died to give you life. And your real life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed all of glory you will share with him. Is that not something worth keeping our eyes on? 
What is Christmas really all about? Yet there's many people that sit back and say, well, Pastor, it's easy for you to say, you know the Bible really well, and you, you can quote Scripture, and, and you can do all of this. Folks, can I tell you something? Even before I knew John 3, 16, Christ came into my life. I was born again, and I knew I wasn't the same guy. I knew something had happened. Do you? There was a, a man that had converted to Christ, and, and he was talking to an unbelieving friend, and the unbeliever was kind of an antagonist, and he said, okay, so you've been converted to Christ. Yes, the man said with an excitement in his voice. The antagonist said, well, that means you know a great deal about him then. Tell me, what country was he born in? The man said, I, I, I don't know. Well, what age did he die? And the man again said, oh, well, I, I don't know. How many sermons did he preach? And the man once again, and you could hear in his voice that he's getting lower and lower in his confidence. He said, I, I don't know. What age did he die? I don't know. How many times did he stand? I don't know. You certainly, the man said, do not know much about this man who you say you have converted your life to. But I love the man's response. And if you'd like, you can borrow it. Because all of us need to at times. He said, you're right. And I'm ashamed that I know very little about him. But this much I do know. He said, three years ago, I was a drunkard. Three years ago, I was in debt. My family was falling to pieces. My wife and children could, would, would hardly dread the return of my coming home each evening. But now, I have given up the drink. Now, we are out of debt. Now, we are in a happy home. Now, my children eagerly wait for my return. And my wife says, honey, welcome home. He said, all this Christ has done for me. And this much I know. Amen. Folks, I don't know everything. But this much I know. I was lost. And now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. I was dead, but now through the blood of Christ, I am alive. Can somebody say amen? You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Christmas. I'm trying to help us understand what Christmas is really all about. Not the presence under a tree but the presence in a life. The one thing you cannot do is argue with the testimony. To really know Christ is to be transformed by what we know of Christ. And in this, all that we are becomes evident because of a transformed life. I've told people it's amazing what you know when you simply know that you know that you are known by Jesus. Did you want me to say that again? It is amazing what you know when you simply know that you are known by the one who stepped out of eternity in a time for you. Come on, give the Lord a hand and clap of praise, would you? Martin. Nameler was a, an 
visitor at the concentration camps of Germany. One of the last to be freed after the deliverance. Reporters from all over the world would come to interview him about all the time he spent in the concentration camp. And without exception, you can go look him up online. Without exception, they would all leave in disgust, saying something similar to this. All that time in those concentration camps, and all he can do is talk about Jesus. How do you measure God's love? You see, God's love is a gift. The Bible says it this way in the book of Isaiah. A son was born. A child was given. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And underline, it's not even in your notes, but write this in your notes. Prince of peace. Look at somebody and say, I could use a little bit more peace in this world. This is why it's so imperative that we get our eyes on the gift of his love. Because it's only then that we'll understand the love of his gift. You see, a child was given. That was the gift. It wasn't a man. It wasn't beam me up, Scotty. The Bible says he came a lowly babe in a manger, totally defenseless. How many here have felt defenseless in their lives? No ability, no power, no no possibility of rising up on his own, totally at the mercy of his environment. Ladies and gentlemen, when you and I come to the place where we realize we're totally at the mercy of God, you will grow exponentially in the things of God. When you throw yourself totally at the mercy of God, then God's grace comes full throttle into your life. What was that gift that was given when Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done? Even though he was a son, the Bible says he learned through the things he suffered. The Bible says in in, in Hebrews chapter 4 that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was likewise in all areas tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oh, you say, Pastor, that sounds good. Oh, but the next part sounds even better. Because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. You say, preacher, are you always this excited? Only after I wake up in the morning. I can come boldly to God's throne. The throne's called grace. That grace enables you and I to tap into his mercy. How many are thankful for the mercy of God? Oh. I could come boldly to the throne of grace that I might find mercy and grace to help in my time of need. Go ahead and take that word my out and throw in Tim's time of need. In Jewel's time of need. Put your name in there. In Mark's time of need. In John. In Susie. In the, in, put your name in there. God said we can boldly come 
Not because we deserved it. It wouldn't be a gift if we deserved it. That's the amazing thing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't even matter where you're at right now. God said, I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And he included in you in that name, whosoever would believe, would not perish. Why is it in the hustle bustle of life we forget that? What is Christmas really all about? Is it once a year? No. Folks, I cherish that gift every year. Every morning I wake up, it's a brand new morning. And I take that gift of God's mercy and I step out into his grace that I could walk through my life. God with us. Christ in us is how God showed his love to us. Sadly, as I begin to wrap this up at Christmas time, most of us forget what Christmas is really all about. Matthew 1 says it this way, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Oh, yes, and she was really a virgin. It's not a metaphor. It's not a figment. She truly was. You say, Pastor, is that important? If she wasn't, then we're not saved. That's another sermon. We won't even touch on it this morning. A virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and his name shall be called. Emmanuel, which means God with us. We hear Merry Christmas, and there are some that try to be politically correct and say Happy Holidays. As you know, if you've been a part of this church at any time, I have this gift called irritation. And if somebody calls and tells me happy holidays, I stop purposely and turn around and say, no, it's Merry Christmas. Say, Pastor, why would you do that? Because they have to understand. Well, say, why? What's the big deal? They don't even understand what holiday means. You know holiday comes from two words? Holy days? That's where the word holiday comes from. They don't even know what a holy day is. So I need to help them understand what Christmas is really all about. Just like today, what is Christmas really all about? The great gift of his love. The greatness that revolves around his presence. Jesus told the disciples in John 16, he said there's a time coming and now is when you're all going to scatter. Once you look at me before you look at the rest of the notes, you know what he's talking about? He said you're going to go through struggles. You're going to have problems. And you're going to want to take your eyes off of me. Don't. That's all he's saying. Don't. He goes on to say in this passage, he said, 
You're going to all scatter, and you're going to leave me all alone. But listen what he says, and underline this in your notes, would you please? Yet I am not alone, for my Father's still there. Look at me, please. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you're at. If you remember that God is always there with you, he'll get you where you're going. He will get you where you're going. His peace brings encouragement. We don't need Christmas presents. We need Christ's presence in this Christmas. Can you say amen? You see, long before there was a stable in Bethlehem, long before there was a garden in Eden, long before there was a planet in earth, in the annals of eternity, God decided to send his son to save you and I from our sins. God knew Adam would fall. He knew that he would eat a forbidden fruit. But God, in the midst of it all, said, I will make a way where there seems to be no way. That's why Ephesians 2, you can write it down, verses 8 and 9, it says that by grace we are saved through faith. It is God's grace that enables us to come to salvation. And it's not of something that we do. I know some of you think you're pretty good, but you ain't good enough. I'm not good enough. And my wife thinks I'm pretty good. That was my wife, yes. You may be hurting this Christmas. I want you to remember God's with you. He made a way for you. This Christmas you might be lonely. You might be without somebody that you had last Christmas, a husband, a wife, a child, parents, grandparents. If I can tell you something this Christmas, though there may be a lack of presence, there's always a glory of his presence. And he is here with you. See, this Christmas is all about God with us. Every Christmas is all about God with us. Emmanuel, the hope of glory. The Christmas message that I want to give you is that God will help you. God will strengthen you. God will encourage you. And God will make sure that you don't go through this alone. Years ago, I was praying. I was praying. I was preparing, much like I do this time of year, sermons around the Christmas season. And I was asking God, I was, God, could you give me a picture of what it must have been like? And I don't know that God took me in a trance. I don't know if God took me in a dream. If I, I don't know how it happened. But God actually gave me an idea of what it was like in that manger that day 2,000 years ago. And I, I wrote it down, and I put it in a poem. God said it wasn't happen chance. It wasn't 
a second thought. It was very purposeful. And I want to share that poem with you. Is it on there? Did it get on there? Okay. I just want to read it to you. The poem goes like this. In a manger, a stable of livestock and hay, the Savior, the Christ, was there born and lay. His eyes filled with tears of a mystery yet unknown, told by the prophets in a world not yet shown. A promise, a future, a hope through his blood, spoke by his Father in his Son through his love. The tears as they fell told a secret that day of a time for mankind with all sins washed away. No more sorrow nor pain for the tears that would fall in a manger in a stable. A baby's eyes saw a vision of suffering, a vision of pain, a vision of heartbreak, a vision of shame. A vision through eyes once filled with tears of mankind's sorrow and grief through the years. A vision of hope for mankind once lost. In baby's tears at Christmas, his eyes saw the cross. It wasn't a second thought for God. Yes, we were lost in our sins. But the Bible says that God said, I still love them. They're still worth it. And I'm going to pay the price. He stepped out of eternity into time. Walked the chasms of the unknown to you and I. Battled demons stood against hell, and they said, Father, your will be done. Today, I don't care where you've been. You might sit here and try to convince me, Pastor, I'm beyond hope. Have somebody reach over and grab your arm and see if you still got a pulse. If you got a pulse, you got hope. If you're still breathing, you got hope. You see, God made a way where there was no way. He said, I'm going to be your hope. Doesn't matter where you've been. You say, Pastor, you don't understand where I'm at. Doesn't matter. You might be living in the bastion of sin right now. God says, I know. I know where you're at. Just like I knew where you were. You see something God helped me with a long time ago? He said, son, don't ever forget where you've been. And I promise I'll get you where you're going. We got to remember, God knew us then. He knows us now. But pastor, he couldn't love me the way I am. Yes, he can. And he does. And he will. But will you? Take that immeasurable gift and let it become a gift without measure for you. You know why I say a gift without measure? Because you are going to stumble. Oh, I'm not prophesying. I just speak in facts. 
How many here haven't messed up? Oh, I almost caught you, didn't I? Today, of course, today, you know. I was having a great time in the Lord, and I was telling God, I said, God, man, this is good. Life is going good. I haven't messed up. We're just doing really good, God. I'm thankful. And then I said, but Lord, I'm preparing to get out of bed. Could you help me? You're going to mess up. Look at somebody and say, how does he know know me so well? Because I'm you. I know pastors aren't supposed to talk about messing up. We do. I know you're shocked, aren't you? Good to see you. We do. But that's why his love is without measure. He said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to pull you out of that. You know why? No matter where you've been, no matter where you're at, he said, if you get your eyes focused on heaven, I'll get you where you're going. Do you believe that? See, this is Christmas. This is what Christmas is really all about. It really is. Just for you. It's your Christmas. Will you make it? Will you make it your Christmas? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are-